I had a rough week. I had a rough week, man. Monday through Wednesday, I'm not going to go into detail, but Monday through Wednesday, um, nine hours Monday, nine hours Tuesday, and about four hours Wednesday, I was in therapy. <laughs> You're going, what kind of therapy is that? Well, it's, um, it's a pastoral vocational counseling therapy thing, and uh, it's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing, and I went to that. And I tell you what, man, I, I love in-depth conversation. Matter of fact, afterwards, I looked at the counselor. I'm like, are you tired? He's like, yeah, I'm a little tired. And I said, I can do another eight hours. Should we, should we continue? Um, and then he laughed and chuckled. And, and, and Wednesday, I left, and I was energized because I learned a lot about myself. But I also walked, just tired, just tired. And then this Saturday, uh, our oldest son, Parker, plays soccer, um, park soccer. And... Uh, my son is everything I am not. He is sensitive. He is kind. He is gentle. He's loving. Yes, he has the fruit of the Spirit, you know. He, he, he is everything that... No, it gets bad, y'all. Listen. So, so um, and one of the things is, is that Jenny and I grew up playing a lot of sports growing up. And we're super hyper-competitive people. Can you tell? Like, we are, like, cutthroat, hyper-competitive-like people. And Parker is not. He is loving, caring, just. And so, you know, he actually, he actually encourages the other team, like, good job. That was a nice goal. You know, one of, I'm like, Parker, no, no, no. You don't encourage the other team. That's your enemy, you know. One of these, right? But while they were playing, there was a kid on his team. And I think they were joking around. They pushed Parker in the back. And Parker kind of fell and he kind of stood up and kind of look back and Parker kind of had a grin on his face and that and I'm sitting on the sidelines and watching this thing and something just in me just turned you know and then about 10 minutes later this kid just continued to follow Parker just basically you know making his life miserable you know and, and I heard even the kid say at one point like you're so weak you know and I called Parker over and I said Parker next time he pushes you I want you to pop him in the mouth I didn't say that. But the fact that you thought I said that, that's a problem. That is a problem. The fact that you thought your pastor would actually say that, you're like, oh yeah, I could totally see him saying that. That is a problem, Michael. The thought went through my mind, and I, look. I know some of y'all grew up in cultures where your parents actually said that to you, right? That's the culture I grew up from, okay? Now, my wife, obviously, is totally different. So we kind of got into, you know, I told her about what happened. And I told her, I said, I wanted to tell Parker to pop him in the mouth. And she said, you're crazy. I go, I know. <laughs> After the whole thing was over, I was bothered all day yesterday. Literally, like 11 o'clock at night, I'm talking to my wife. And I'm just bothered emotionally about the whole day. And I said to my wife, I said, Jenny, I think the reason why I'm so bothered is because I realize I can't control my son's destiny. I can't control who he becomes and what happens. I knew I was a control freak, 
but it's being manifested in the most powerful of my children because I want my son to be athletic. I want him to be super, all this other stuff. And I realized the best that I can do is to just surrender and go, God, I can't control, I can't control the outcomes of his life. And the other thing I had to deal with is the fact that my, my, my son may never be, you know, a super athletic jock. He'll be like a swimmer or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I just offended like, oh, I'm so- Okay, I don't know. Or a gymnast. I don't know. I'm going to stop. 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 But I mourned and I grieved yesterday. And I was just like, oh, Lord. I just, and I'll talk about this today, you know, because I'm talking about surrender. How often do you and I fail to experience this peace that God promises because we feel like we have to control the outcomes of our lives? And we give all this energy and effort to, and God just goes, you, you can't, you can't. Well, we're talking about spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, and um, now, I've been reading John Ortberg books recently, and some of you guys are like, some of the stuff you say, have you? I'm like, of course, I'm reading a lot of his stuff. And one of his books, he talks about this thing called the lycometer. Have you heard of it? The lycometer. It's taste receptors that you and I have. And by the way, ours was running the day we were born, right? And babies are pretty well developed because it's all about literally physical taste. Like, put something in their mouth, and he's like, mmm, like it. Give me some more. Or, hate it. Get it out of here, Right? It's really quick and it's instantaneous. Babies have this thing called taste receptors. Here's the thing. You and I develop this so about everything that we do. Do you realize that? Every sound we hear, like it. No, I don't like it. Every food that we eat, like it. Mm, I don't like it. Every interaction, even people. When you and I meet people, taste receptors. I really like him. I really like her. They're cool. We find ourselves leaning against them or leaning towards them. And others were like, no, not so much. So here's a question for you. Do you like God? I don't want to be disrespectful, but do you like God? In other words, if you don't like being with God, you're just not going to be with him much. Do you like God? Have you thought about that? And be honest, because you can't fake God out. He already knows. And this isn't to make you feel guilty that you should want God more. Because I've been saying this throughout the sermon series. If your whole posture is, I should, should just doesn't have enough power to get you there. It doesn't. You and I know it. Should is kind of an auxiliary engine, right? Want will eventually wear down the should. Spiritual growth doesn't mean a life of doing what I should do instead of what I want to do. Spiritual growth is coming to want to do what I should do. Spiritual growth requires that our life move from this duty, obligation, I should category to I want to. So we don't just do the things that Jesus would have done. We find ourselves wanting to do them. They make sense. They appeal to us. And we desire to do it. And the result is we don't just go around trying to do the right things, but as we've been talking about, we become the right sort of person. Read the Gospels. All the stories about Jesus' kingdom, right? The kingdom of God. Jesus, when people come to understand how good he is, they want him. 
They like him. Listen to what Jesus said one time in Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. If Jesus said that's what should characterize our relationship, does that sound like I should, I should? Or does that sound like I want to? Huh? Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought it. That's why when you read the whole Bible, isn't one of duty, obligation. The whole Bible, Jesus says things like in the Psalms, delight yourself in the Lord. Psalm 119, taste your word is like, is sweeter to my mouth, sweeter than honey. Is that your relationship with God? Taste and see that the Lord is good. And I've heard this, I've said to you before, taste is an experimental word, right? It's a confident chef coming to you going, I know what I have. You don't need to, you don't need to promise to eat the whole thing. Here, just taste it. Because I know if you get a taste, you're going to want the whole deal. God comes to you with that invitation. Not angry, man. He goes, hey, taste and see. Come on, come on, I, I I know you're going to want the rest. This is why I've been saying all along, you guys, spiritual maturity and growth requires that we have this paradigm shift from, I have to love God to what? I, come on now, I what? I get to love God. I get to. It's a privilege, it's an honor, it's a blessing. I get to. You don't have to worship God. I get to. I get to worship God. You don't have to love God. I, I get to love God. In this movement to spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, we started talking about the role of the Holy Spirit, who is intimately involved in all this. I found this prayer, by the way. You guys relate. Anybody? Thank you, God, for standing by me so far this day. With your help, I haven't been impatient, grumpy, judgment, or lost in my temper. But I'll be getting out of bed soon, and I'll really be needing your help even more. Anybody? Anybody? Come on, be honest. Anybody? That's me. That's you. I couldn't find a better prayer to go. Here's why you need the Holy Spirit. Because that's us. The Holy Spirit is intimately involved in helping us just live the Christian life. So who's the Holy Spirit? Jesus said this in in John chapter 14 as he introduced the Holy Spirit. He said, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another helper that he may be with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he bides with you and he'll be in you. The help of the Holy Spirit and the Father will send in my name. He'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Who's the Holy Spirit? Here's what we've been saying. Number one, he is a personal divine resident of the Christian's heart. A personal divine resident of the Christian's heart. Holy Spirit is God. He's divine. Jesus' gospels throughout is saying, I'm equal to God. And he says, I am sending you right here, someone who is just like me. I'm going away, but the Holy Spirit is coming. Therefore, I'm coming. Jesus says, I am so one with the Holy Spirit that when he comes into your life, I come into you. Are you just awed by the fact that the creator of the universe lives inside of you? Anybody? Have you just ever thought about that? Just for a moment ago. The creator, the one who said, let there be light. And there was that, that God, that person 
He's God. Secondly, he's person or personal. Holy Spirit's not a thing or a force of some kind. He's not an it, but he, Holy Spirit is a person. That means that he feels, he acts, he thinks, he speaks, and he relates in a very personal, intimate way. He desires a relationship, Holy Spirit does, of intimacy with you. We shared last week, you have to understand this if you want to know what it means to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is not zap. It's being filled with the person. Anybody been in love? You know what it's like to be filled with the person. When you're filled with somebody, first of all, you come under their influence. You become aware of their desires, their wants, their interests, their wishes, their passions. You anticipate their every move. You finish their sentences. Come under their influence. You hang on to their every word. Secondly, you're extremely motivated to be responsive to them. You actually listen to their advice. So what they say, you arrange your life, your dress, your diet, your hobbies, your interests in accordance with them. To be filled with somebody, to be so under someone's influence and to be so responsive to them that you relate to them in this powerful, intimate way. And then we also said, though, there's this other aspect of being filled with the person. And I can't help but keep talking about this analogy because it's the most powerful analogy I could think of, right? About what it means to be filled with the person, a man who had an affair. And every time he would bring his mistress over to his house, he would take all the pictures of the home and just turn it down. Why? Neither he nor his mistress could bear the thought that a picture or presence of the picture of reminders of his family was there. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that holy Spirit, he in whom there is no sin, who is a pure eye, he lives in the walls, within the walls of our lives. And the awareness that ought to bring integrity to our lives, we would turn the pictures over. This is the reason why I said to you guys last week why the discipline of prayer is so important. What is prayer? When you think about prayer, don't think about how long, how many requests. Prayer for Jesus is simply a very thin line between conversation to God and praying to him. Prayer was simply an awareness of the Father's good presence all around Jesus. That's what prayer is. That's why when he healed, sometimes he looked directly at the people, sometimes he prayed to the Father. And when he raised Lazarus from the dead, what did he say? He says, Father, I pray that you would hear me, but I don't pray this for the sake of you because you already hear me, but I say for the sake of those around me so that they may hear and believe. Prayer makes us aware. Because you know what? We can't sin when you're consciously aware that God is there. Put it negatively, sinning requires that we consciously not think about the fact that God is there. But see, we don't believe that. That's why Christians, remember the thumb game, praying? That's the dumbest thing in the world. I like learned about it because I was sitting at a table with a bunch of Christians. Everybody was like, beep, 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 during mealtime. You know what I'm talking about? If you don't know, this is a dumb game that Christians play where everybody just kind of puts their thumbs up and the last person to put their thumbs up has to pray. Do you know what I'm talking about? So we have the thumb game, right? Prayer meals, right? So everybody puts the thumb game, right? It always happens. People go, and the last person's like, oh, man. All right. Father, I thank you. You're so good. I love A guy's up there going, whoa, 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 
I saw the whole thumb game. I know how much you enjoy praying to me. It's like when it comes to prayer, we have this whole thing of, I completely block out God in every aspect of my life. And then all of a sudden, oh yeah, God, oh wait. God is present at all And when you're filled with the Spirit, you're aware of His presence. Hey, what does this do to you? What does this do to you? When you you hear this truth, when you know about this truth, does it make you want to pray? Or does it make you want to be more aware of God's presence? He's there all times. His goodness, His presence is with us. And being conscious and aware of that presence as we relate to him. Thank you. Third, we said the Holy Spirit has emotions. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. And I want to do a quick review, but because of time, we've got to move on to the last one, which is the Holy Spirit has a will. 1 Corinthians chapter, two, uh, chapter 12, verse 11. But the same Spirit works in all these things, distributing each one individually just as He wills. Here's why this is important. The entire sort of frame of the New Testament is that if you're a Christian, you have basically two approaches to life. Christian, you have two approaches to life. And Paul outlines these approaches, and this is where we're heading in Galatians 5. And he says, one approach will lead to this in your life, and another approach will lead to this in your life. And let's go back there and look at that again, Galatians 5. Here are the two approaches to life that Paul talks about. He says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Verse 19. Now, the deeds of the flesh, or what happens when you walk according to the flesh, are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, and factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. Whew! That's just exhausting just reading that list. But he says... Christian or not, when you walk according to the flesh, and we're going to talk about what that means, that's the result. And then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, or when you walk according to the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now those who belong to Jesus Christ, verse 24, have crucified the flesh with his passion and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Two approaches to life. You walk according to the Spirit, this is what happens. You walk according to the flesh, this is what happens. Walking according to the flesh is not some dark, secret, deviant, sexual thing. Walking according to flesh is this. Walking according to the flesh is trusting in my strength and determination to bring about whatever changes I feel need to take place. It's retaining control over my life. It's giving primary consideration to my needs, my desires, my appetites, and my fears when making decisions. You don't have to answer, but in your heart, ask, am I walking according to the flesh? Walking according to the flesh, in my strength, trusting in my strength and determination to bring about whatever changes I feel need to take place. So if your whole posture is one of, I am so convicted by the message, so I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to try my best. Better husband, better wife, better Christian. I'm going to strengthen my strength and determination. 
walking according to the flesh. What have we been saying throughout the sermon series? John 15, 5. Jesus says, I am divine. You are the what? He says, no branch could bear fruit by itself. Jesus constantly saying stuff like, you can't produce this. You can't produce. We're not a producer. We're a, say it with me. We're a bearer. We can't produce love. We can't produce this kind of self-control. We can't produce joy in the midst of stress. You know it and I know it. No amount of strength and determination can produce. That's why Jesus said it's not about you producing it. It's about you abiding and bearing it as the Spirit of God works in your life. This is good news, is it not? It's not I who can produce anything in the midst of, in the way of character. We're not equipped. We don't have the equipment to do this. It is the Spirit of God in us as we remain connected to Jesus, to Jesus and abiding Him. It's not trying harder. It's not more discipline. How many are just tired of your strength and your determination trying to bring this about? I am. I am. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. And Jesus says, now we're getting somewhere. Walking according to the flesh is also what? Retaining control over my life. Has anybody in this room ever said these words? Jesus, God, don't ask me to. As soon as you say, don't ask me to, you've just retained control over your life. By the way, whenever you go, Jesus, don't ask me to, whatever is on the other side of the don't ask me to, that's the real God of your life. That's your priority. That's your treasure. That's the most important thing. It's just like saying, God, I'll worship you if, whatever's on the other side of the if, that's the real idol of your life. That's your treasure. That's your Lord of the Rings. Precious. That's it. <laughs> It's the thing that you will die for. It is. So if you go, don't ask me to, whatever it is, don't ask me to do what. That's the real God of your life. And that's keeping you from experiencing him. By the way, isn't it an illusion to think we could maintain control? This week, Steve Jobs passed away. He was reportedly worth $7 billion. $7 billion could not stop cancer. He had all the money in the world and he knew what to do with and it couldn't stop cancer. It can't stop traffic accidents. It can't stop unexpected illness. It can't stop death. But I'm going to maintain control. I really can't. But it's an illusion. But sooner or later, reality sinks in and we go, I'm not in control of anything.
walking according to flesh, giving primary consideration to my needs, my desires, my appetites when, and fears when making decisions. It's all about me. It's all about me. Walking according to flesh, it's self-absorption. It's the universe revolving around us. And that includes God, by the way. God didn't die and rise again from the dead to follow us. Do you know what I mean? It's pretty ridiculous to think about it, right? He died and rose again so that he can go, this is what I want you to do. Got it. And here's another thing, too. Walking according to the flesh is about my fears when making decisions. Can you think of the last dumb decision you made? And I want you to ask this question. Was that decision driven by either fear or insecurity? Church, can I get an amen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many dumb things do we do because of fear and insecurity? But yet when we're walking according to the flesh, we are completely driven by fear and security. Here's the reason why. I'm in control. I have to make things happen. I realize I'm not very in control. I'm not very good at making things happen. So more insecurity, more fear. What do I do? I'm going to be even more in control. Vicious cycle of more fear, more insecurity. I'm not in control. More fear, more insecurity. I'm not in control. More fear, more insecurity. I'm not in control. And the result... And some of you guys are there today. And Paul says, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to live that way? He says, here's walking according to the Spirit, looks like, right? Being filled with the Spirit is living my life sensitive to and dependent upon the inner promptings and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in such a way that his influence and his leading dominate our entire being. Walking according to the Spirit is not a list of do, it's not a list of things. It's living my life sensitive to and dependent upon his inner promptings and his empowerment in such a way that his guidance is leading can you think about this? If you had a leader who knew all things, who loved you perfectly, was totally in tune with your emotions and the circumstances around you, had your best interest at heart, always leads at the perfect pace, why would you say to him, I am going to do my own thing? Oh, Holy Spirit is our... And if you go... Well, I don't trust him. Precisely, that's the issue. At the end of the day, what ails you today, if you're a Christian, you're going, uh, what ails you? You don't trust him. And why would you follow someone that you don't trust? This is the reason why I constantly go to the cross. And I literally, I'm doing this. Why am I doing this to you guys every Sunday? Because what ails you is that you don't trust him. You don't think he has your best interest at heart. And I'm constantly going, someone who did this for you. Someone who did this for you. You don't think he has your best interest at heart? Someone who suffered this for you. Agonized this way for you. Bore the shoulders of hell on his shoulders for you and for me. We go, I really wanted that relationship. You didn't make it work out. I don't trust you. I've used an analogy before. Somebody who gives you a gift that you can't afford, $3 million gift, do you think he'll skimp out on wrapping paper? I've done this for you, but you know that relationship? And we go, you don't love me. And Jesus says, I did this for you, child. The Holy Spirit has a will and desires for us to trust and follow. So what does it mean? What does it mean? 
What does it mean the Holy Spirit is a person, emotions, and a will? What are the concrete, tangible truths we need to come around if we're going to walk according to the Spirit? There are these four, and then I'm done. One. By the way, they get progressively harder. Today, as we were praying during service, a couple of the people prompted by the Holy Spirit, just pray for me. Like, oh, Lord, give them strength, give them courage. Because I think the Holy Spirit, like I was, I am like really timid right now as I was preparing this message because this is, this is going to be hard to hear. Okay? This is going to be hard to hear. So what does it mean the Holy Spirit has will? First of all, it's not about you. You want to be wise? You want to be wise? The Bible says this is the beginning of wisdom. There is a God and it's not you. This is the beginning of wisdom. Can I get an amen? It's not about you. It's not about you. At first, this looks like bad news because you and I like to run the show. We like to gratify our desires. We like to have things our way. But if you think about it, the fact that there is a God and it's not us turns out to be very good news because it means that someone who is far wiser and far more competent is in control. Far wiser, far more competent is in control. And it's his job to be God. It's my job to let him be God. The Bible says that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. A bigger fool looks in the mirror and goes, there is God. (laughs) The oldest temptation in the world is a desire to be like God. Life begins when you and I die to the false God that is you and me. You know what I hear from Christians all the time? I told you this is going to be hard, but it gets progressively harder, okay? So I hear Christians go, Christianity just ain't working for me. It just ain't working for me. And I want to go, since when did God promise that Christianity would work for you? Christianity will only work for you if you serve him, whether he works for you or not. He doesn't exist for us. We exist for him. He doesn't exist to do our bidding. If he did, he wouldn't be worthy of our worship. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's not a cosmic Santa Claus or a vending machine. God is not a pet that you bring out to shoot shows once in a while. He is the creator of the universe. It's not about you, and it's not about me. That's why the Holy Spirit doesn't exist to enhance our ability to carry out our will and our agenda. The power, listen, the power and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is most available to that person who says, my only desire is your will be done, whatever it is. The Bible's clear. If anyone does not have the Spirit of God, uh, Paul says in Romans 8, you do not belong to Christ. If you're a Christian, you don't have to wonder, is the Holy Spirit in me? The the question is not, do you have the Holy Spirit? The question is, does the Holy Spirit have you? Does he have you? Does he have you? It's not about you. It's not about me. Secondly, the Holy Spirit has a will. That means don't manipulate, but cooperate. As a pastor, I've seen people that are most disappointed with God most disappointed about Christians are people whose entire approach to life is not one of cooperation with the Holy Spirit following his leading, but manipulation. So what they do is they give, God, here are the plans that I have for my life, okay? When I want to be married, who I want to be married, what kind of job I have. And then God takes a right turn, and we go, whoa! And by the way, what does God taking a right turn look like? You're dating that guy. And you're, lo- you're head over heels for him. And then he shows up one day and goes, I'm just not into you anymore. Oh, 
And you're going... Come talk to me after the service, okay? I know God speaks sometimes, but man, that was the most, oh Lord, I've ever like, whoa, okay. What does it look like for God to take a left turn? You know, you have all the qualifications to get into the school, and what happens? They say, sorry. That job is perfect for you. It's down to two people, and you know you're better than that schmuck. And they call you and they go, oh, we decided to go with the other guy. Can anybody relate? God takes the right turn, and you're like, what the heck, God? This is, oh, yeah, it's not about me. God takes a left turn, and we go, that's not the plan I had for my life. Circumstances take a left turn. And the whole Christian experience for some of us is one of manipulating God and not cooperating. By the way, do you notice one of the results of walking according to the flesh is sorcery. Other versions, it's witchcraft. And again, don't imagine some old lady in the corner going, ah, ha, 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 ha. that's not what it is. That's not what it is. It's not, what it, it's not witch, sorcery. What, witchcraft and sorcery is trying to manipulate the supernatural for our own selfish interests. It's trying to manipulate. It's presumption on God. And it looks superficial on the surface. But what we're essentially doing is making God subservient to our wishes. You know what this looks like? You're dating that guy or that girl, you know. And they're not a Christian. And deep down inside, you know, I shouldn't be. But what do you do? Oh, Lord, I know you want all men to be saved. It says so in Acts chapter 10. Why are you pre- it's that college student who's up until four in the morning playing Xbox in the name of evangelizing my non-Christian roommate. And you've got a chemistry exam at seven in the morning. And you get up and go, oh, Lord, you know, I was up there doing your will, God. Help me with this exam. <laughs> By the way, I, I did that once. Not Xbox, but, you know. For some of us, it's that couple or a single guy. Oh, I'm... I'm Okay. Did, Pastor Andy, can I go here? Okay, okay, I'm going to wait. Okay, okay, okay. Some of us, we use the phrase, oh, we're just going to step out in faith and trust God. You know what that means? That means for a lot of us, I came up with this idea, not fully well researched, defies common sense, defies wisdom. I asked nobody about it and probably will not work. But, you know, I'm just going, step out in faith and trust the Lord. (laughs) What? That isn't faith. That's presumption. It's stupid. And when God doesn't come through, everybody's mad at God. God, and God's going, it wasn't even my idea. I feel like God's saying, don't play me. I'm God. We think we're living by faith, but we're not. You know what faith is? Faith is responding to the promises of God, not our bad ideas and our selfish ideas. How many times have we done this? We do something dumb, and we want God to bail us out. You know, it's like a vase. You're holding on to the vase, and you're going, here, catch, catch. Oh, 
That's what we do to God. God, I messed it up, made, made a mess of this. Catch. And we're going, well, why'd you drop the ball? And God's going, child, I had nothing to do with that idea. That's sorcery. That's witchcraft. The Bible says that's of the flesh. That's why when you and I turn on the TV sometimes, a religious channel, and we hear these preachers, we're like, I just want to throw something at the television screen. Why? Flesh says manipulate. Spirit says follow. Flesh says my will. Spirit says your will. Flesh says my will be done. Spirit says your will be done. Here's the other thing too. How many of you guys have a hard time hearing God these days? This is just common sense. Of course he would have a hard time hearing God if we're living in manipulation mode. Why would God speak to you when you're doing just fine on your own, doing your own show? Here's what Karl Barth said. I love this quote. Karl Barth, a theologian, said, When we are at a wit's end for an answer, then the Holy Spirit can give us an answer. But how can he give us an answer when we are still well supplied with all sorts of answers of our own? Why would God communicate to somebody whose basic posture is, I got it, God, my agenda, my goals, my priorities, my plan, and I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And why would God speak? We don't even want to know God's will. Let's just be honest. Your want to is a green light for God to speak loudly and clearly. Ask honestly, do I want to do his will in this area? Having a hard time hearing God? Try doing this. That issue, go to God and go, God, the answer is yes, no matter what. God is the greatest communicator in the world. He created communication. He has no problem speaking to you and me in a way that we hear, but our posture. Our posture. You hearing me? And you don't really know where you are on this until the bottom drops out. It's the valleys, guys. It's the mental, physical, emotional valleys that often hold the most fertile soil when it comes to spiritual growth. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And God is an expert at injuring these circumstances where we realize, man, I'm running my own show and I'm just asking God to come along until the bottom drops out and you quit trying to manipulate God and you can't do a thing. And that's when you become willing to do anything that God asks of you. How often have you had this experience going through something and all of a sudden you read the Bible and the Bible reads differently? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You know why? Because when you're in manipulation mode, you, you're reading the Bible pretty much to confirm your own issues and agenda. I just want God promises to. But when you're done manipulating God and you're surrendered, all of a sudden the Bible becomes a different book because you're a different person. And you're ready to hear. I told you this was going to be hard, but it gets harder. The Holy Spirit has a will. Third, that means forget about God's will for your life. What do I mean? God cares more about his spirit leading today in this moment than about what you intend to do next year. Can I say that again? God is way more concerned about his spirit leading you today in the next 10 minutes than about what you plan to do next year. 
I know my church. I know who I'm speaking to. 90% of you guys sit in there going, I want to know next year, the year after that, and the five-year plan. Because I don't like feeling, I, this doesn't feel comfortable, I don't know. And God's going, my desire for you is not God's will there. It's right now. What am I asking you to do right now in the next 10 minutes? Today. God's concern is that you and I follow him today, not next year. The Bible never promises a 20-year plan. Do you realize that? Where do you see in the Bible? Abraham, come here, come here, come here. Sit down. I'm going to make you father of the nations. Here's the five-year plan. Here's the 10-year plan. God just says what? Abraham, pack up your stuff. All right, pack up my stuff. Now what? Go. Go where? Don't worry about it. I'll show you. You find this throughout the scriptures. God saying, my spirit is at work and I'm leading you right now, today, in the next 10 minutes you're consumed about next year. And by the way, can I just say this? Can I just say this? You don't want to know next 5, 10 years. You want me to show you? If somebody told you 5, 10 years ago that you are going to be where you are today, going through what you are going through today, with the person that you are with today, and the exact same circumstances 5, 10 years ago, would you have said, that's awesome? You would have said, Ah, I don't want to know. Church, can I get an amen? You and I don't want to know. You think you do, but you don't want to see five, ten years on the line. Because if you saw it, you'd be like, I don't think so. Bye. And God says, because I love you, I'm taking you step by step by step. Here's another reason, too, why God does that, why God, why God leads step by step. Because, number one, if you and I had five, ten-year plan, it wouldn't be about God. It would be about the plan. We're so intent on the destination, and God says, I care more about your journey. Because God is not so concerned about you discovering his will. He's way more concerned about you discovering him. I just want to know his will. God says, how about you get to know me? You get to know me. I just want the five. God goes, when you get to the five-year plan, you're going to look back and go, whoo, I did it all by myself. And God goes, I want you to discover me. I think I told you guys. At the crux of church plant, not church plant, I was really seeking God's will for my life. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, don't seek my will, seek me. Then you will come to know my will. For those of you that are going, God, what do I happen? Do I marry this person? Do I job? And you're consumed with God's will for your life. You know what God's consumed with? You pursuing him. And the other thing about God's will, and I especially hear this in younger circles, we love discussing God's will as like a theoretical topic. You know what I mean? Like God's will for my life. You know what that does? It excuses us from obedience right now. Think about it. Jillian says, oh, Pastor Peter, I want to talk to you about next five-year plan, 10-year plan. And it's easy and comfortable to talk about five-year, 10-year plan, what we're going to be doing. Because the reality is there are sacrificial hard things that God is calling you to do right now that you might be missing. Can I get real personal? If you're single... God is doing amazing things in your life, and he's wanting to do through you. But because you're so content on who am I going to marry, you are completely missing amazing things that God might have stored. Married couples, once we have children in our life, and God has these amazing things that God has in store for you that you are totally missing out. Why? Because you're so intent on the destination, what we need, and God is doing these amazing, and you're totally missing. 
Forget about God's will for your life. <laughs> you go home today. Hey, what did the pastor talk about? He said, forget about God's will for my life. Don't just say that. You know, I'll be like, what kind of a heretical church is that? No, you got to explain to them, oh, this is what he meant. Some of us, though, can I just use this sentence? Some of us, you know what our fear is? Our fear is not. Our fear is not that God won't speak when we seek him. Our fear is what? That God will speak. Because we deep down inside know, like, if God speaks and he reveals his will, it might be inconvenient. It will be uncomfortable. It will be costly. It will be sacrificial. I have news for you. Yes. Do you know why? I thought about this. We're talking about spiritual maturing growth. When has growth ever taken place without change? And change is never convenient, never comfortable, never tidy. Never. Give me an example. Let me give you a really super example. How many of you have moved from apartment to apartment, house to house? Is that joy, joy, joy? Heck no. It's annoying. It's inconvenient. Anytime you move, change, it's inconvenient. Now, take that into consideration for your whole life. If God says, I desire growth for you, child, and the only way growth is going to happen is through change. And by the way, change is uncomfortable. And some of us, we like our tidy little lives. I don't want God to mess it up. I've got my ear planned. And we totally miss out on an enormous blessing that is the experience of the Holy Spirit. Why? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is a comforter. But why would you need a comforter if your life is already very comfortable? Why would you need God? Why would you need God? Lastly, I'm actually going to get done early today, Michael. How about that? Please don't look at your watches. Look at it. God has a will. And here it is. Surrender. Everybody just take a deep breath. Surrender. Why? Surrender. The only way to fully experience walking in the spirit and manifestation of spirit is through the act of surrender. But to surrender, it takes courage. See, majority of us in this room, can I use a driving example? We love having Jesus on the passenger seat. We love having him when we need help. I'm sick. I need some healing. Things at work aren't going so well. I'd like it to be better. My children are giving me a hard time. Can you discipline them for me? I'm confused. I need some answers. But all of a sudden, we realize if we were no longer driving and we let Jesus drive, following things happen. Number one, we're not in control anymore. For example, we're not in control of our wallet. So we don't get to go, I'm going to give when I feel like it. I'm going to give if I think it's sacrificial enough. No, no. It's not your money. It's his money. He's driving. We're not in charge of our ego anymore either. I don't get to do all kinds of self-absorbed things that I want to do. It's not my life. Whose life is it? It's his life. It's not my mouth anymore either. Whose mouth is it? It's his mouth. So you know what that means? I don't get to gossip, slander, manipulate, do all kinds of things that I love to do. Question, who's driving? You or him? Have you handed over the keys? Jesus says anybody could come to him, anybody. 
made a mess of your life, anybody, one condition, hand over the keys. That's it. Surrender. Surrender. What is surrender? Surrender is not being passive. Some of you sit there and go, surrender. Peter, that means doormat, accepting circumstances fatalistically. You know, surrender means you actually have to fight to challenge the status quo. You don't stop thinking. You don't stop making critical decisions. You don't stop asking questions and stop. You, surrender is not a crutch for weak people who can't handle life. Surrender, can I just say this definition? Surrender is the glad and voluntary acknowledgement that there is a God and it's not you. Surrender is the glad and voluntary acknowledgement that God is wiser and better than handling our lives than we are. Surrender is the glad and voluntary acknowledgement that Jesus does not come to arrange the outside of our lives the way we want, but that he comes to arrange the inside of our lives the way God wants. Surrender. Surrender. I yield. I obey. I do what he says. I'm not driving anymore. Surrender means giving up your will. I've been profoundly influenced by f- close friends who've gone through a 12-step program. Any of you guys know people who've gone through a 12-step program? Did you know that within the 12-step program, you will not find, now try really hard not to drink. You also will not find, now decide today not to drink. Amazingly enough, the most powerful tool against the most powerful addictions in the world never asks people to decide to stop drinking. What is destroying their lives? Instead of mobilizing your will, AA says, surrender your will. Instead of mobilizing your will, I'm going to try, I'm going to decide. It says, surrender your will. Try to overcome that problem by your will. It'll defeat you every time. But surrender your will. And you could experience victory. You go, why is the will not very powerful? It's the same reason why self-help is an oxymoron. Self in very good at helping them. Self in very good at helping. I was going to say the hot mess that the self got into. I don't know who I'm channeling this morning, but I am seriously like, surrender. Listen, how many of you could actually, Peter, you got yourself into this mess. Now, Peter, get yourself out of it. then I feel totally hopeless. Because this hot mess that got in myself into that hot mess can't deal with the hot mess. The will is very bad at trying to overcome habits or attitudes that have become embedded in our bodies. Deep change takes more than willpower. It takes, say it with me, surrender. Say it with me. It takes surrender. Surrender your will. And sobriety, victory over sin becomes possible. Surrender is a continual experience. It's not something we do once and get over. Have you thought about this? Romans 12, Paul says, Now, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Why? You offer a dead sacrifice, you light a fire, it stays. You take a live sacrifice, put it on the altar, and you light a fire, what will that live sacrifice do? Get the heck out of here! And Paul is saying, by your own volition, by your own will, get yourself back on the altar again and again and again and 
and again. It's not one time. It's day by day, moment by moment. Day by day, moment by moment. Day by day, moment by moment. And you know what? It'll feel like death. It'll feel like death. But it's the only way to life. Jesus says, he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And it turns out in surrender, you lose a life, but you gain a life, a much better life than the one you lost. And it turns out that nothing you lost was worth keeping anyway. Isn't that amazing? Can I say that one more time? In surrender, you lose a life, but you gain a life, a much better life than the one you lost. And it turns out that nothing you lost was worth keeping anyway. Lastly, surrender. It's an act. The act of surrender. Surrender will always entail a cost. How many times have you felt devoted to God, but when it actually came to action steps, you're like, oh, my commitment is only skin deep. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I surrender all, all of it. I surrender all. I walk out of there, same old life. Jesus anticipated this. That's why he said to the woman who was caught in adultery, now I forgive you. And he said, what? Go and sin no more. That means some of us, act of surrender is surrendering our sexuality. Surrender oftentimes enough money, involve money. Why? Because money is all about control and all about trust. For some of us, surrender will mean an act of disclosure about that sin, that addiction, that anger, that unforgiveness. And you're going to sit there and go, oh, heck no, that's terrifying. Can I tell you something? If you weren't terrified, it wouldn't be surrender. If you're sitting there going, that's easy, I can do that probably is not a costly thing for you today. You ever thought about this? Because you're sitting there going, does God even relate to what it feels like to surrender? Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is literally pouring out sweat mixed with blood. And what does he say? Will you let this pass from me? And yet, nevertheless, what? Not my will, but what? Yours be done. Surrender. Surrender. And just as surrender for Jesus led to resurrection and life, God says, Surrender for you and for me leads to resurrection and life. I believe that God wants to do amazing things in you and in me. And for many of us, majority of us, it is the act of surrender that might be keeping us from experiencing the life that God desires. Thank you, Lord. 
God, this isn't the end of the journey. This is the beginning of the journey. And I pray for my family, my church family, my brothers and my sisters, God, who made the very difficult, hard, fearful decision, God, to surrender to you. Be with them as you are. Let them know. Bring about assurance, God. for your healing and for your ministry. In the name of the Father, Holy Spirit, and all God's people said,